and I am recording. Uh, we're talking about the credible Christian finish, and uh, this goes. Man, sometimes I, I would like to tell you that I organize these messages, but <clears throat> I did not. I mean, that's per- perfectly what I was talking about this morning, and it is not because I had it all planned. It just so happens. Yeah, God has definitely wants us to finish, focus on our finish, and so. And so that's basically what I want to do in this last chapter is encouraging us and finishing strong uh, in uh, 1 Corinthians chapter 13. And so let's have a look at the Word of God here. 13 verses in the 13th chapter. So to this this church of uh, Corinth. This is the third time I am coming coming to you. In the mouth of two or three witnesses shall every word be established. I told you before and foretell you as I, as if I were present the second time and being absent now, I write them, which heretofore have sinned and uh, to all other that if I come again, I will not spare. Since you seek a proof of Christ speaking in me, which is to you word uh, is not weak, but is mighty in you. For though he was crucified through weakness, yet he live, liveth by the power of God. For we also are weak in him, but we shall live uh, with him by the power of God toward you. Then he says in verse 5, Examine yourselves whether you be in the faith. Prove your own selves. Know ye not your own selves how that Jesus Christ is in you, except ye be reprobates. But I trust that uh, ye shall know uh, that we are not reprobates. Now I pray to God that ye do no evil. Not that we should appear <clears throat> approved, but that ye should do that which is honest, though we be as reprobates. For we can do nothing against the truth, but for the truth. <clears throat> for we are glad when we are weak, and ye are strong. And this also we wish, even your perfection. Therefore I write these things, being absent, lest being present, I should use sharpness, according to the power which the Lord hath given me, to edification and not to destruction. Finally, brethren, farewell. Be perfect, be of good comfort, be of one mind, live in peace, and the God of love and peace shall be with you. Greet one another with an holy kiss. All the saints salute you. The grace of the Lord Jesus Christ and the love of God and the communion of the Holy Ghost be with you all. Amen. And so with that, let's uh, let's pray, and then I'm going to uh, kind of get into this text. Heavenly Father, we thank you for this word, this uh, final chapter of Second Corinthians chapter 13. And Lord, you're going to come here soon and uh, catch us away, and I pray that we'll be ready. As we spoke this morning from 1 John, uh, Lord, all of chapter uh, 3 is really prefaced on chapter 2 and verse 28, and the coming of the Lord Jesus. As all of chapter 3 is based on really what we see in chapter 1, which is having our the spirit of Christ in us and versus the spirit of Antichrist. <coughs> and Lord, uh, I pray, God, that we would uh, just take this time in the Word of God and just allow you to speak to us about finishing strong tonight. Uh, Lord, it's one thing to start a race, and it's another thing to finish it. And so, Father, I pray, God, that you would give us the strength and encourage us tonight in your holy Word to continue to run the race and to finish our course, for it's, uh, it's easy to quit, Lord, and uh, it's often difficult. And yet, Lord, uh, it's worth it when we obey you and that we keep your word, Lord, knowing that you've kept us. Thank you, Lord, for being the example for us and encouraging us in obedience and love and charity. We thank you and we ask all this in Jesus' name. Amen. <coughs> Excuse me. Um, hey, Jamie, could you do me a favor? Go run out in the hall and there's a should be some waters there. I'm going to have a problem. <laughs> I can tell. <coughs> Excuse me, guys. All right, so 
the real question is, um, you know, are we credible? <clears throat> Not incredible, but are we credible? You know, when it comes to politicians, um, there's always a struggle for credibility among voters, right? You've, you may have even heard that phrase before. Thanks, Jamie. <clears throat> and, um, you know, presidents struggle with credibility. And, you know, why is it? What makes, why do presidents struggle for credibility and politicians in general? Think about that. What is it that makes us struggle for credibility? Or let's just use politicians. They're easy to pick on. Because they want all people to believe them. They want all people to follow them. They don't have, what they don't have you know, they usually don't have God guiding them and wanting God's approval. They want right it's kind of it is they're looking for approval so when they're they're trying to get voted in what do they do to get approval right they try to make they make promises right to get elected oftentimes and of course a good a good politician is is categorized by anybody that would vote for him would be the person that delivers on what they say and and hopefully delivers on what they said to you and that you hope they deliver because we're kind of like that we want what we want Right. So um, and getting to your point, Sharon, which is very right. I mean, ultimately, what matters is what God wants. But but when it comes to credibility, um, you know, who will deliver on what they say really does determine the credibility and delivering on what you say is is a large part. Now, it's not in my notes here, but, you know, um, the entire book of Second Corinthians, Paul is addressing the evidences of his credibility and Satan is the accuser of the brethren day and night, according to, to Revelation 12.10. So he is accusing all the time. Yet, Jesus Christ is the credible witness, right? He's the one. Uh, his his spirit is the spirit of prophecy. And uh, the Bible tells us that in Revelation chapter 19. Meaning that uh, every word that God says, every prophecy that is, is ever given, which there's voluminous amounts of them, always come to pass as he said, because he keeps his word. And he, he is completely credible. And so Paul comes and, and he wants them to, he's coming to the Corinthians and, and he's saying, though you treat me as though I'm not credible, you can just bank on what I'm saying. What we want is you. We want you guys to finish strong. <laughs> he wants them to have a credible Christian finish. And so... Um, so point one, credible Christians are not convicts. Now, you probably weren't think, expecting that. Convicts, C-O-N-V-I-C-T-S. Uh, but we will account for God's warnings. And so look at verse one again. It says, this is the third time I am coming to you in the mouth of two or three witnesses. Shall every word be established? And so Paul's going on the record here. He's saying, listen, I'm coming to you for the third time. Um, and we are now accountable for what we know. We're accountable for what we know. <coughs> um, once you know it, once you know, once you know to do good, and don't do it, then it's then it's sin, isn't it? Right. This morning I used the example out of uh, Luke chapter ten of the Good Samaritan. Right. So once the Good Samaritan knew to do good. Then Jesus gave him this illustration and really drove home the fact that he really did know what the good neighbor was. Now, he's like, good, now you got to do it. Now that you, lawyer, you may know the law, now you have to live under the law that you know. And so, um, and so we're, we are accountable for what we know. So Paul brought this up earlier in the book when referencing the Corinthians' commitment to the church in Jerusalem. Let's go back and look at uh, 2 Corinthians chapter 8. 
which is that really good giving chapter. Second Corinthians chapter 8 and verse 12. He goes in the, that passage, he says, For if there first be, or if there, yeah, if there be first a willing mind, <clears throat> it is accepted according to what a man hath, and not according to that he hath not. And so, <clears throat> what he's saying is that you're not you are not burdened to give what you don't have, and you're also you're not accountable for what you don't know. Uh, although ignorance of the law is no excuse, of course, but <clears throat> we all have a conscience, so all men are guilty before God when it comes to sin. You don't have to have a Bible to know the difference between right and wrong. God has put that in our conscience. But when it comes to <clears throat> the issues that Paul's addressing here with the church, he's letting them know. I, you know, this is the third time I've come to you, right? So you guys really know now what is expected, and so the Word of God bears witness with the with uh, the Spirit. So we are convicted, right? And so we uh, we become guilty. Look at Hebrews chapter ten. And verse 28, back uh, just in the back of the New Testament there, Hebrews 10. <clears throat> I'm sorry, I am uh, I'm coughing a lot suddenly. Hebrews 10, and especially if you're on the tape listening to me, I don't have a mute button, so uh, you're getting all that in your microphone. So he that despised Moses' law died without mercy under two or three witnesses. <clears throat> Well, how about that? That's pretty encouraging. Not, right? So, uh, under the law of Moses, if you had two or three witnesses and you were convicted, you were executed. And he's obviously talking about a capital uh, capital uh, punishment in this case. There's obviously other punitive damages that could be assessed under the law. So, this is a capital case in uh, Hebrews 10.28. So, he that despised Moses' law died without mercy under two or three witnesses. <clears throat> and so, and then he goes on in verse 29, he says, How much a sore punishment suppose ye shall he be thought worthy who hath trodden under foot the Son of God and hath counted the blood of the covenant wherewith he was sanctified an unholy thing and hath done, and, and hath done despite unto the Spirit of grace. So what he's saying is that, of course, he's writing to Hebrews, and many Hebrews rejected Jesus Christ as their Messiah. So he's like, when Jesus Christ, who has fulfilled the law, comes, he's the lawgiver and he's the law fulfiller, and you despise him. If you you were a kid in the Old Testament and you despised your parents and rebelled, they could take you out, and it was a capital offense, they could stone you. Because you weren't just despising your parents, you were just despising the way God structured the entire family and the law. So it was considered a capital offense. You were going against God's, you know, d- divine uh, structure. <clears throat> and of course, there were many other, uh, you know, murder was also like that. You that was a capital offense, not to be confused with uh, war, which is a just execution, a judgment on a nation. Um, <clears throat> and so. He's saying here that, you know, when you look when you look at the Lord Jesus Christ, once you know the gospel and you reject it, then what happens? You're responsible for the gospel. When you've heard the grace and you understood it, now you're guilty. And I can actually remember when I first got, the day I got saved, I can actually remember when I finally really got the gospel, uh, feeling that pressure. Like, whoa. Like, if I don't receive this, I'm guilty of it. I couldn't have articulated that. I didn't know what that. I didn't know the terminology for all that. But I can tell you in my heart, the Holy Ghost was letting me know that. Like Brian, I'm letting you know now. This is your chance, son. And uh, you're either going to receive me or you're not. 
And uh, I just knew it in my heart. Now, this is a little, like, not in the Word of God. This is just my experience, which you don't have to take my experience for anything. Just take the Word of God. But I'm just saying in my own experience of getting saved even, I knew that it was for keeps. Like, this isn't a joke. If I don't make this decision, I'm making a decision. And uh, I can't put it off any longer. Uh, Because I knew and I understood finally why Jesus died on the cross was to save me from the wrath to come. And then I was like, oh, my goodness. I better take this grace while I got it, or I may not get any more. And so, praise God, he gave me more than I could have ever asked or thought. But God knows all our thoughts and actions. Nothing is hid from him. So when we disobey God's direct will, he's a witness. Now, even if nobody else knows, God knows what we know, and he knows what we when we disobey him. And he's a witness, so we're in trouble. So the first mention of two or three witnesses is found in Numbers 35 and verse 30 uh, regarding judgment of murder. So I'll just quickly read that. <clears throat> I wasn't going to, but we might as well because it's Sunday night, and we can go a little deeper. Uh, Numbers chapter 35 and verse 30. Let's look back at that. <clears throat> If you get there before me, feel free to read it. I'm still turning. I got it. Anybody else got it? Okay. Numbers 3530. The Bible says, Moreover, ye shall take no satisfaction for the life of a murderer, which is guilty of death, but he shall be surely put to death. Um, That's pretty straight up. And so uh, the capital punishment was implemented, of course, after uh, Moses, uh, or after Noah, after Noah came off the, the ark, or the, the ark, yeah, and then that was even more clarified and defined under the law of Moses. So when it came to murder, you were not to spare. You were to execute judgment. That's also the principle behind Matthew 18 in conflict resolution between brothers. God has left his witness. Uh, in John 5, 8, the spirit, the water, and the blood uh, are a witness. And in First uh, uh, John, I should say First John, I think I said John 5, 8. In First John chapter 5, in verse 8, dealing with the, it deals with the Godhead there. But also, uh, John says, There are three that bear record in earth, the spirit, and the water, and the blood. And these three agree in one. And so here's the teaching, really, that I'm driving toward. The murder of Jesus is not unsolved. It's not an unsolved mystery. We're all guilty of the spilled blood, and that's why we get saved, because we are forgiven of that. Uh, But if those who who don't are are still convicted uh, by the very witness of his spilled blood, the Spirit of God, and, uh, of course, uh, the water that came forth from his body. So we are convicted when we do not submit to God's authority. So point B, don't ignore God's admonition. Down here in verse 2, back in our text, we're moving on down the line here. For Second Corinthians chapter 13 and verse 2, he says, I told you before and uh, foretell you as if I were present the second time and being absent, I write to them which heretofore have sinned and to all... Uh, other that if I come again, I will not spare. Um, that's a good question. We are accountable for what we know. Oh, A is we will account for God's warnings. 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 We will account. So when God gives us warnings, we're accountable to heed those warnings. Isn't it? Aren't you glad He gives warnings? You know? With kids, it's like, I'll count to three. Yeah. 
it's completely dependent upon you, isn't it, as a parent? If you want, some say if you want them to obey, don't give them any warnings and just chase them. But I think it's good to give them a chance to to repent. So, but don't give them too many chances. <laughs> so, um, but at any rate, um, so examine the evidence. Uh, of, oh, um, point B. Don't ignore God's admonition. I jumped ahead. Point B. So, uh, I told you before and foretell you as as if I were present the second time and being absent. Now I write. Uh, now I write to them which heretofore have sinned, and to all others that if I come again I will not spare. So, <clears throat> Paul is being very clear not to don't ignore what I'm writing to you and because when I come I'm not going to hold back and uh, and so don't confuse God's meekness for weakness as he goes on to say he goes on in this text he says since you seek a proof of Christ speaking in me which to you word is is not weak but is mighty in you for though he was crucified through weakness yet he liveth by the power of God for we also are weak in him, but we shall live with him by the power of God toward you. And so when he, what he's really saying is that um, he is saying, in essence, don't, don't mistake my weakness for, or my meekness, I should say, for weakness. His power, the power of God, and, and Paul's not, obviously, he's very humble, but he's saying, the things that I'm speaking to you, I, I'm speaking by the power of God. The things that I'm living are by the power of God. And uh, this guy, this is for you. This is towards you as well. So you want to be in God's will. So so it's important that we heed the warnings, that we don't ignore God's admonition, that we don't confuse meekness uh, for weakness. And so that happens from time to time because, um, you know, credible Christians are not convicts, right? So we should, uh, the credible Christians, why are they not convicts? Meaning they're not convicted. Why are they not convicted? Because they're not guilty. Right, so if you're doing the right thing, you're not going to be a convict. But who gets convicted? <clears throat> ideally, of course, in a man's law, it's not always perfect. But ideally, under God's court, people that get convicted are people who are guilty. And so the good news is that even if you're guilty, you can be forgiven uh, through the blood of Jesus Christ. And that's why Paul's been giving him opportunity to repent. He's like, get this stuff right, because when I come, the opportunity for repenting is over. <laughs> it's a, it's a, I'm going to come in power, not in weakness. And so, don't mistake my weakness or my meekness for weakness. I'm putting those words in his mouth, but that's the in essence the tone that he's giving here up through verse four. So that brings us to our second point, which is uh, credible Christians desire perfection. And so, uh, five through ten. He goes on to talk about examine yourselves. So we'll have the Lord's Supper coming up here at the end of this month. And, you know, it's not too early to start examining ourselves now, right? It's a daily thing. Examine yourselves, whether you be in the faith. Prove your own selves. Know you not your own selves, how that Jesus Christ is in you, except you be reprobates. Right, if you know you're saved, then then judge yourself. That's what he says in First Corinthians. Right, judge yourself, lest you be judged. That's actually um, what he talks about in First Corinthians chapter eleven, uh, in reference to the Lord's Supper. Uh, it's important that we, you know, take that seriously and we take care of our sin. And God's given us the mechanisms uh, to do that. First Corinthians eleven. Um, he says, but let a man examine himself in verse uh, 28. Let a man examine himself and let him eat of that bread, drink of that cup. For he that eateth and drinketh unworthily eateth and drinketh damnation to himself, not discerning the Lord's body. 
Uh, for years I thought of that as, you know, thinking about Jesus' body on the cross and all of that because of the symbolism of the Lord's Supper, which there's certainly truth in that. But also, conversely, it's, it's also not discerning, not having wisdom with the body of Christ, not caring about the people that you are affecting. Right, that when we live in a sin, in sin, it affects other people. And he goes on to say, "For this cause, many are weak and sickly among you, and many sleep. Many have died. For if I would judge, if we would judge your, if we would judge ourselves, we should not be judged." He says in First Corinthians eleven thirty one. All right, but when we are judged, we are chastened of the Lord, that we should not be condemned with the world. So the idea is to separate us from the world, that God wants us to judge ourselves. And we, and Paul says here again, examine yourselves in this in this uh, letter, whether you be in the faith. Prove your own selves. Know you not your own selves. No one knows you like you, uh, how that Jesus Christ is in you, except you be reprobates. And so... It's important that we judge ourselves. So if you live like a reprobate, you may not, you may be a reprobate. That's also what Paul's saying. So examine the evidence of your salvation. That's point A. Examine the evidence of your salvation because credible Christians desire perfection. And in the Bible, by the way, perfection is simply means completion. Uh, and that's what, that's what God is desiring in our lives is to be complete in Christ. Now we are positionally complete in Christ, but there has to be some daily work that goes on in all of our lives so that we are practically walking in the spirit so we don't fulfill the lust of the flesh I, and I've told this story a lot I used to be so convicted about the lust of the flesh until uh, you know several years into my walk with the Lord when I realized oh the flesh is going to always lust okay now I get it that's why the issue is not to be convicted because you have flesh that lust the issue is to be convicted when you don't obey the spirit of God because the spirit overcomes the lust of the flesh and so really the problem isn't the flesh the problem is our propensity to forsake the word of God the Spirit of God, and the local New Testament church. Those three things that God has given us to give us strength and power over our flesh. And so temptation is always going to be with you. Your flesh is always going to give you fits. Um, But at the end of the day, we have victory through Christ. So examine the evidence of your salvation. That's one thing that Paul tells them. You know, you need to examine yourselves. Examine the evidence of your salvation. If you live like a reprobate, you may be a reprobate. Right. If you, you know, you might be, if you're a redneck, you might be a redneck. Right. So if you live like a redneck, you might be a redneck. Well, if you if you live like a reprobate, you might be a reprobate. <clears throat> and so uh, if if our life doesn't line up with the, the speech that indicates that we are that indicates that we're a liar. All right, so if our life doesn't line up with, with what we say, then we're a liar. You know, John's been talking about that in First John. And so the Bible says the devil is uh, the liar in John eight forty four, And so it makes sense to conclude that you have the wrong father. Uh, Titus chapter 3 and verse 10 says, A man that is an heretic after the first and second admonition reject. So Paul says, you know what? If someone is teaching something and it's wrong and you've tried to correct them, after the, you give them a chance. Okay, first time, maybe they just didn't understand. Second time, maybe we had a communication problem. I'm not sure, though. He says, after the second or third admonition, then you reject them. As a heretic, why? Because they've lost, they have no credible they have no credibility. They do not want to conform to the the image of Christ, to the Word of God. And so you say, well, Brian, who are you to judge? Well, that's a great question. Nobody, I'm nobody to judge. But we, what do we judge ourselves by? The Bible, right? The Bible is our standard for righteousness. He is right, and we're all wrong, including the preacher, right? So our standard is righteous of righteousness is the words of God. 
And I know you guys know that. You're the Amen Choir. That's why you're here on Sunday night. So, uh, so a man that is a heretic after the first and second admonition reject, credible Christians know that they are not reprobates. And that's really what he's saying in verse 6. I trust that ye shall know that we are not reprobates. Paul is not at all uh, the least bit concerned about him him being a reprobate. In in spite of the fact that there are obviously a few people at the Corinthian church that seem to think that he is a reprobate or talk about him in ways that are not very uh, flattering, he is not at least bit concerned about their opinion. (laughs) So he he knows that Jesus Christ is his Lord. Why? Because the Spirit bears witness with our spirit that we are the sons of God in Romans 8.16. And that's really what he's talking about, Romans 8.16 says the spirit beareth witness with our spirit that we are the sons of God so we've been talking about that in first John chapter 3 right behold what manner of love the father hath bestowed upon us that we should be called the sons of God we have the spirit inside of us saying hey you are a son and so uh, we have not been saved to live in sin and um, well, I'm going to stop right there because we're running out of time but uh, point B so I thought I was going to get through all this today, but actually I got I actually have a, quite a bit further to go here. So I'm going to pull up here and uh, and we'll just pick it up there and recover point two and get back down to point B next time we get together. That's that's enough though. So um, you know when you think about it, when God gives a warning, just to summarize for tonight, when God gives us a warning, what, what should we do? We should heed it, right? And uh, and if we can't seem to heed His warnings, then what should we do? Paul says, examine yourself to make sure you're in the faith. Now, I don't want anyone to, obviously in this room, be concerned about your salvation. But if someone just perpetually cannot obey the Word of God, there comes a point where you wonder, are they saved? I used to I used to preach with a guy like that. That um, First, he was confused about baptism. And so I'm like, well, just go get it straight, right? Go get baptized again, whatever you got to do. And instead of just taking care of it, he went to, we had nine pastors at the time in our church, uh, nine paid pastors. And so he visited like every one of them. And one pastor said, oh, don't worry about it. And the other pastor says, oh, yeah, you should get baptized. And, you know, I was like, hey, man. Just get baptized. This is obviously an issue. The deal was he got saved supposedly, and then he got, uh, um, and then he got baptized by a guy that was a Church of Christ who didn't believe in you know the right doctrine, and so in his mind it wasn't valid, or was it valid, or wasn't it valid, or was it? So there was this confusion of heart and mind, and so um, I noticed that when he preached with me, uh, he couldn't preach the gospel. That was the first, I was like, man, what's going on? Why can't, I tell you what, I won't say his name. He probably has listened to this. And I said, hey, why don't you just preach the gospel? I mean, like, very simply, 1 Corinthians 15, Jesus died on the cross for our sins, was buried, and rose again the third day. Uh, this is this is back in the 90s. I was at City Union Mission, and this guy would come down, and he was I was responsible for all the preachers, and he was one of the preachers. So I'd sit there and listen to his message, and he's talking about, the deep things of Ezekiel and the whirlwinds and all this stuff. And I'm sitting here looking at these homeless guys, you know, and they're just like, <laughs> what? I'm like, man, dude, these guys are a step up. Some of these guys literally, literally could die and go to, go to hell today. Not heaven, hell. So let's just keep it simple and get it right to the point because this is urgent, you know. There's no time for superlatives. Let's just cut to the chase. Okay, okay. And next time, nope, we can't do that. we got to go way off into some deep thing. And I'm like, what in the world is going on? 
And so I started digging into this thing. And, you know, after 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 dealing with the baptism thing and, and then after two or three times of saying, hey, listen, can you just preach the gospel? The gospel, literally. I just Today I just want you to get up and just talk right out of... This is the text and this is what I want you to say. And he couldn't do it. Wouldn't do it. I don't know if he couldn't do it or he wouldn't do it. So what do we do? Well, you're no longer welcome to, to speak here. Why? After the first or second admonition. Something is not right. And you need to get your baptism situation figured out. So guess what? Never got it figured out. And uh, struggled. Struggles to this day as far as I know. And so um, I won't tell you the rest of the story because it gets darker and deeper from there. And it's not important to put on. I definitely went on the air but because uh, this goes on the Internet. But anyway, my point is simply this. We need to judge ourselves. You know, if we're struggling with something and God's put people in our life to say, you know, not to slap our hands, not to tell you you're a bad person, none of that. Just say, hey, maybe you need to consider. Uh, Which, uh, by the way, with this fellow I did, I'm like, hey, are you saved? You know, I finally got this right down to, do you know Jesus? Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. Okay, well, I mean, maybe he does, maybe he doesn't. The bottom line is there was nothing in his life that showed me that he was saved. So after a while, I just treated him like he was lost because I didn't have any other way to treat him. Uh, he took all my opportunities away. <clears throat> so anyway, it's just really weird, um, you know, what it is. When God gives us a warning, we ought to heed it, right? And we ought to then examine ourselves, see that we're in the faith, and and uh, also not concern. We should not, and uh, and this is kind of scary to say, but we shouldn't ever. <clears throat> um, we should never confuse God's meekness for weakness. I think, you know, Jesus is getting ready to come back soon and catch us away, and the wrath of God's going to drop on the world here uh, in days, I don't know if it's a day or a week, a month, uh, 10 years, 100 years, but I think sooner than 100 years. Um, you know, judgment's coming. And a lot of people think, well, you know, that Jesus thing's just not working for me. You know, I'm telling you what, Jesus is working. He's working really good. And we shouldn't just just trot underfoot the gospel. Because there's coming a day when people who have trodden the, the gospel underfoot, they're going to given a, be given a lie to believe, Second Thessalonians chapter 2, and they're not going to have an opportunity after that. And so people should not, and we should not confuse God's weakness, uh, or his meekness, I'm sorry, for weakness. God is far from weak, uh, but he is very loving and compassionate and kind. And so that should drive us to be, you know, really have credible Christian uh, perfection, right? We want to not be perf- like sinlessly perfect. We can't with our skin on, but we can positionally. We are. So we should we should examine ourselves and make sure that we are living up to our words and, of course, the words of God. And who among us doesn't fall short, right, daily? I think we all do. So when we do, what we need to go and do what the Word of God says and humble ourselves and confess our sins because He's faithful and just forgive us our sins and cleanse us from all unrighteousness. But when we go on as though nothing has gone on, then we realize that, you know what, our heart's growing hard and uh, we really aren't where we need to be with the Lord. So we need to get right with Him. So... um, so anyway, that's a, that's where I'm at right now. We'll pick it back up from there next time. I just kind of re- rehearsed everything I just said in uh, short order. So there we are. Um, all right. So any prayer requests tonight? Wendy's not with us. Oh, I haven't. Thank you, Ron. How, man, Ron, it's like you got eyeballs that can operate better than us. I don't understand it. Thank you for the reminder.